Well, ladies and future boys, I welcome you to another uh, School for Waywardness, the only podcast to be recorded right here in the Allergy Tube. My name is Toby Pollard, and for this week we are doing something a little bit special. Uh, we received our first email that wasn't spam, or a rejection email from Podcast One. Booyah! Yep. So shout out to Thomas. This lovely little sentient train emailed us at theschoolforwardnerds at gmail.com and requested an episode about Doctor Who. Because of course he did. Uh, before this email, I didn't know a goddamn thing about the Charming Time Lord, uh, but it is our duty to educate, sometimes even ourselves. So joining me for this one uh, is just our producer, Kaisen. I am him. You are here. Howdy. Uh, that's all. But, you know. Well, the cats are here. And gosh knows that they're going to interfere. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Um, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Does that help us out? Now, we'll, uh, And we actually check our email now. Apparently we should. Um, Good work, Thomas. Keep us on our toes. <laughs> yeah, sorry for the uh, late reply. It only took us like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who is a British TV show. All right. Uh, the one with the whooshy old theme song that used to give me the creeps as a boy. Wow. Yeah, feel free to, like, put it in here if you like. Oh, I won't because one. BBC copyright. Oh, those cheeky monkeys. So, I um, know. Uh, it is a classic sci-fi series that ran from this... It's the length of time that surprised me. It ran from 1963 through to 1989. They tried to do a reboot by having a movie in 96... Then they rebooted it properly in 2005. And that saw the massive resurgence and love for the show. Imagine if uh, 1966 Batman was still currently running. Well, it is. On SBS. It's just not new episodes. Fresh, fresh episodes <laughs> that keep trying to find Adam West impersonators. You mean the Joker? <laughs> That's, it's an insanely long time for a show to be continuously running like that. Yeah, it's pretty, like, insane. Yeah. Um, I, I still see so many women at our comic conventions wearing the blue phone booth dress. It's the like Tartarus. A, yeah, it's like a staple of the culture at this point. Tartarus. Yeah. Even though it's the Tartarus. And the Scourgeriffy. Your Retardus. And the Scourgeriffy. Oh, damn you. Now, when you read a TV show's play outline, it's usually just cripplingly vague. Um... Doctor Who is about an alien called the Doctor who goes on adventures with a travelling companion battling monsters and villains to protect planets and species. Um, or just space, space talk on adventures is essentially all the play outline it gives. Alright, but I have no more grasp on things than I did before when finding that. So mm. to start my rabbit hole journey, I watched the, uh, the pilot. From, from 1963. 1963. Yeah, it's called An Unearthly Child. And I thought it would help me understand the vibe of the show. Mm. Um, so the first thing I found was the theme song is actually pretty mission. Uh, it's been adapted and covered and whatever since the original, but the first iteration was composed by Aussie Pride Ron Grainer uh, and Delilah Derbyshire, probably not Australia, uh, released it at the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Um, in the episode, though, um, I love that the title card like comes and goes, the intros and everything, but the music quietly stays present for a while after the fact. Mm. Like, it kind of haunts itself. It gives it a really nice flow. We see the ominous police box in a shed full of just random shit. Uh, before anything happens there, though, we immediately cut away uh, to a school where teachers are gossiping about a student named Susan Borman. Um, apparently she is this complete fucking genius, but it is crazy weird. Um, the history teacher offered some more advanced teachings after school, but Suzanne's house, oh, like at her house. Yeah. But, um, she was very put off by the dish, said, no, get it enough, get out of here. No, um, true Yeah, she claims her grandfather hates strangers, and that's the only reason. Mm, that's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, the history teacher finds a, a weird excuse and just keeps getting more and more curious about the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, finding the address to the school's uh, files and seeing it's the shed from earlier. Okay. We're like, what is this bitch? She's crazy. She's like a Rick and Morty genius. She's she, she live in a she live in a shed. Hmm. 
Anger and Granddad. As little kids do. Yep. Um, I like that it's a kind of mystery setup. Like, the teachers get curious and decide to tail the girl home and see what the deal is. Um, at this point, the weird, mysterious thing in a black and white, just plain old boring reality, you, it gives you, like, Twilight Zone or maybe, like, a Junior Eo vibe. Oh, yeah. Depending on where it goes from here. Like, if it turned out she was a tentacle monster or something. Um, while the teachers poke around looking for Suzanne, they meet the first Doctor. A Rick Sanchez-level asshole. Looks a bit like the tall man from Phantasm. I'm mm. um, trying to keep them out of his police, out of the police box after hearing Suzanne inside it. Uh, obviously, they think she's a prisoner in there, and this rude guy isn't giving them much else to work with. Seems like a creepy old man kidnapped a girl. Mm, that's not always good. Uh, they managed to, you know, sort of rush past him and get inside the box, which is much bigger on the inside. It is called the TARDIS. Uh, which stood for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Uh, we find out that this, this old man is the Doctor and Susan is his granddaughter. They're aliens from the future visiting because Suzanne is a big fan of Britain in the 60s. Of course. <laughs> she liked when everything looked like Postman Pat, I guess. But why, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, arguments ensue as the grandfather won't release the teachers because they know too much. They bicker and fight a little bit, and at one point or another, the control board and the TARDIS is fucked with. Uh, that the TARDIS then travels through uh, time and space. Mm-hmm. The pilot ends with two unconscious teachers, a grandfather and granddaughter, and a phone box in an apocalyptic desert. Um, a shadow of a figure approaches, and that's the end. I see. Yep. This weird ass. It's just a weird fucking episode of television. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'm feeling that. And it's not just the plot that's weird. Lines get flubbed a lot. Like people are making mistakes and resetting their lines in the final product. Raro. Mm-hmm. The cameraman stumbles at one point, and I think the doctor may have accidentally touched Susan's boot at the 23 minute four second mark. I'm glad that you wrote that down. Oh, for people to double check and tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of charming in its like schoolhouse production quality. You know. Um, I mean, you know, we we have seen the original pilot for Batman '66. They were not working with. They a lot. blew up a big-titted woman with nuclear fusion. Hmm. Ah, so the question is: Did the pilot explain? Uh, a lot of what's to come. Is it like the Futurama pilot or the Dexter one? Mm. Yeah, not really. I learned at the ta- a little bit about TARDIS and that's about, you know, it. Uh, the planet is from, I researched later, is called Gallifrey. Okay. Um, now, not all Gallifreyans are Time Lords. But all Time Lords are Gallifreyans. Um, uh, okay. They're selected at a young age and trained to be competent leaders and shit like that. Like, um, you know, whatever their equivalent of presidents and shit are. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, from there, like, you go through all your training, you do 300 years of education, uh, you become a Time Lord, you're given a TARDIS of your own. Mm-hmm. Now, they're supposed to shapeshift to be error and location appropriate at all times. But our Doctor's one is the iconic phone box because um, its camouflage system is jammed. It's frozen like it's a Windows Vista product. Ah, uh, okay. Right, so it can't adapt to time anymore. I see. Um, time Lords get more than just the TARDIS for their troubles. They're also able to regenerate. Originally written as a way to recast the first Doctor when he started to be sort of too old for the role, um, the rule was 12 incarnations. Which I thought was a weird clock to put on a character. Well, I mean... I don't think they expected it to go this far. Yeah. I mean, British television normally does, like, two seasons of six episodes each, and that's it. Yeah. Um, And I mean, 12 is, like, you know, and easily... There's 12 hours on a clock. There's, you know... It's it's an easy number to... Yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, in 2013, though, the, a Christmas episode gave the Doctor a fresh new cycle, allowing him to continue into the future after the fact. 
Okay. So you could reset. Because technically you should have finished like two seasons ago. So he had 12 lives. Mm -hmm. So they gave him another 12. So he has 10 left. But then he's been two doctors since. So he had 10 left. Until they do another Christmas episode. He gets another one. Okay. Alright. But that's that's later Doctor Who problems. Um, Alright. So we have our Doctor. Mm -hmm. The main character. So let's run through his casting since 1963. Okay. Let's go go through all the different Doctors. Because they are all... Unique because not only does a reincarnation change your appearance, it also changes your personality and attitude, which is very convenient. But there you go. Alright, first doctor, uh, an asshole from the pilot. Um, the first doctor, the asshole from the pilot, was William Hartnell. Uh, he ran for almost three years. Um, despite screwing up his lines and being very old, uh, he was an arrogant. Arrogant man. Uh, a trait that not many doctors kept after the fact, which is probably for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, Alright, you got Patrick Thoroton as the second doctor. Uh, he was the first whimsical one. Although, although his first appearance in 1966, The Power of the Daleks, all six parts of it are lost to time. Um, okay, you're probably not going to have an answer for me, mm-hmm. because as people that have not really watched all that much Doctor Who, we're not very intelligible. It's not Who's exactly Dark of Night for me. the one with the scarf? I will get to that. Okay. Because okay. I know, I know that he's from an old one and is kind of popular. Hmm. Um, so this is the bold cutty one. Mm-hmm. Alright, so all six parts of his first appearance story are gone. Oh, that's the master tapes were taped over in the 60s, and the copies BBC put out were destroyed in the 70s. Oh, so if you've got a copy of The Power of the Daleks somewhere, sell them to rich nerds. Okay? That's my advice to you, the listener. Right. Good luck. So clocking in at four years, five months, three days, is Doctor Number 3, which is John Herdwee. Um, A lot of the classic crew fans like this guy because he was um athletic despite his age, smart but charismatic as well. You know, he, he was a good era for the series. He... He's the one who wore, like, um, velvety suits. Oh, yes, okay, I know, uh, yeah. And I believe what made his one unique was that his TARDIS had been shut off, so he spent heaps of time on Earth in a specific time, you know, which was a budget thing, <laughs> but... I see. Yeah, he had a little yellow car. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. All right, Doctor Number 4, the scarf one. Ah! Uh, the longest-running Doctor at six years and nine months is Tom Baker. Uh, this one is, yeah, big, fun scarf, so I remember him. He had a big hat, big scarf. Yeah, that's, like, if, it, if it's not the blue phone booth, it's the scarf. Yeah. Um, a lot of people remember him, too, as he he seems to be best boy. Oh, yeah? Uh, in a lot of people's opinion, he's um the quintessential doctor. Okay. Um, he took all the good points of the previous guy. Uh, but really sort of like purified it. Like he did the eccentric behavior. Um, he did all that. He was also like a nice dude, a protector of people, and a super genius, but he was never, and an alien, quirky alien. Would you love our quirky alien? Mm-hmm. All right, next one is Peter Davison. He dressed a bit like a cricket player. Uh, he ran for a smidge under three years and had trouble matching the popularity of the doctor before him. Mm-mm. Because number four was. Well, coming after the one that's popular is always hard in like everything. Um, And then you got uh, one of the least popular ones, uh, Colin Baker. Uh, He's Doctor Number Six. His outfit was a very unique one. Um, Doc Three may have worn velvet suit jackets and Doc Four had the scarf, but this one went a little overboard on his design. Uh, He's dressed in like a circus tent, maybe? Okay. He's wearing a big long jacket that is. Bright pink, bright green, red, and plaid. He looks how, like shit. I don't... How... How do you... How? how? He also took the dipshit attitude from the first version of the Doctor and just ran hard with it, so... You know, he sucked in almost always. He 
He's like a liquor shotting me. It's like really hot. Is that hot? Um, Alright, Doctor Number Seven was the Scottish Sylvester McCoy. Uh, seemingly a bit like overly theatrical and on a very tight budget. He seemed hard to watch from the clips I'd seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the sweet question mark umbrella he had. But of he's course. not the Riddler, so... You know, I'm not liking it for the wrong reasons. You've got um, the the closeout of the era for Doctor Who. Um, after Sylvester's run ended in, in 1989, that mm-hmm. was it. Like, he was clearly the last of the budget. Okay. Uh, and then the franchise was left alone until 1996. Uh, a made-for-TV movie titled Doctor Who was released to try and draw up a bit of a resurgence. Uh, this Doctor was uh, Paul McGann. Uh, mm-hmm. He was number eight. Uh, the reboot movie didn't quite do the trick, however, so the series stayed on hiatus until 2005. Apparently, his return in... A, Another episode later was actually very good. Oh, okay. But it was, it was obviously one of the shortest running ones being just a film. Yeah. Alright. But this guy, this next one doesn't last too long either. Um, we have Christopher Eccleston. He was the reboot doctor in 2005. Mm-hmm. He was the one who I thought looked nothing like a doctor. Um, He like had a shaved head and leather leather jacket on and stuff. I don't think I've ever seen a Doctor Who that looks like that. that you find in like a British pub than a Doctor. Okay. Alright, but he, he was concerned by his own power, which was a different take than the look how socially awkward this alien is kind of style that pretty much every Doctor before him ran with. Mm. Um, he, he, he sort of done it like Kryptonian style. Like he was concerned about people because they're fragile. Okay. You know, kind of walking on eggshells around people. Uh, this one introduces Rose as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the most famous companions, uh, played by Secret Diary of a Call Girl's Billy Piper. Yes. So I'll never not recognise that. Sorry for this life. I remember the show Running. I don't think I ever ended up watching it. Mm. So. Um, Rose was part of the reason for this Doctor's speedy regeneration, but also hung around with the next Doctor after the facts, and she's uh, definitely a fan favourite. We've seen... Well, that's okay. If you there's people who aren't like after the show at all, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you asked me before this what I could tell you about Doctor Who, mm-hmm. it would be um, the the Scarf Doctor, uh-huh. Tom Baker. The no, no, it would be literally just Scarf Doctor. Yeah. Um, it's David Tanner, mm-hmm. the dude that came after him. Nice River Song, mm-hmm. which I don't even think is her name. I think I've just put two words together. I think it's her name. Willow. You lost me again. Salt and Pepper Shakers. Yeah, I'm, I'm long gone at this point. Go on. The Cyberpunk dudes, but only because we played Lego. The Cybermen. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about the Lego dude. I'm literally telling you how I know it before this. Lego dimensions, everybody. Um, there is a weird wand that opens up at the end, but it doesn't really make sense. I only know about that thing because I had a friend that had like a toy one. I've got no notes about it. And it like you push a little button and the little end like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, sure, cool, that's. Great. I didn't do notes about it, but the sonic screwdriver is the Batman's utility belt of the show. Every once in a while, something very convenient will be done by the screwdriver and they'll win the end. Okay. Right. It's, it's, the, so it's, that's, it's the utility belt. It's whatever bullshit plan Velma comes up with in Scooby-Doo. It's always the... It's the be-all end-all that wins the game. You betcha. Well, that's... So it's you gear as hard of the cards, mate. So that's, that's the end of my Doctor Who knowledge. All right, well, thank you. Uh, Doctor number 10. Uh, this is the one everybody's waiting for, David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most well-known one, I think, as far as I'm concerned. He was fierce yet lovable. Um, it's Jessica Jones' purple man with charming sideburns. Mm. What more do you need? Um, he's the guy I picture when I imagine the Doctor. And, yeah, he's the, he's the guy. He's the one that started the, 
big fan base, which is still going now, still running on like the goodwill him and the next Doctor put in. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Eleven might have um, he might have had fears of replacing David Tennant, but after his run, Matt Smith managed to kick fucking goals. Uh, he managed to be the protector and the childish goof that the that a good doctor needs to, to be. He needs to toe that line. Um, yeah, he's a fun, goofy character, but he has fucking killed worlds. Not people, worlds. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh, Matt Smith has a, um... He has the, this big fan base of, um... Of, like, quirky girls. He's, he's probably the one that I think of. More so. See, I think of him as the guy who replaced the purple man dude. Yeah, but I didn't really like Jessica Jones. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, yeah, his time on the show obviously went well. Because we grew, no one was upset that he replaced David Tennant. Yeah. Um, Doctor 12, though, played by Peter Capaldi, uh, mostly remembered for his entrance in which he rode a tank into a medieval... Arena while shredding a guitar solo on the top of it. He's old. He's old. Um, I feel like a lot of the quirky girl fan base left here without the Matt Smith eye candy, but I I thought I'd maybe be wrong, but I've asked pretty much everyone I know who likes Doctor Who, and they've all got the same, like, yeah, you sort of need the cute, quirky dude to look at. It's kind of strange, though, because, like, David... And Matt are probably the youngest in the lineup. Like I've I've got a picture of all of the doctors so far, and like they're the only two that I'd be like, yeah, I can see why girls watch this. Yeah, in a nice way. Yeah, well, um, cute whimsical boys get all the hoovians. Those the rules. No game, no hype. Yeah. All right, so the current reigning champion, still standing, is Doctor Thirteen. I like. Yeah, I, I like the... I like too. it. Um, Jerry Whittaker. All right. The Lady Doctor. That's right. Um, I think her weird but, attitude but is cool. But not being like, a Lady Doctor. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Like, um, she... When you first meet her, like, she's talking to a police officer, and the police officer's like, you need to relax, ma'am. And she's like, ma'am, what do you mean? And it's like, because you're a woman. She goes, does it look good on me? Like, <laughs> that's the first reaction. And the, dog, and the police officer confused the shit, and I love the quote. Half an hour ago, I was a whitehead Scotsman. Yeah. Yeah, she captures that, like, quirky, dingus, but also knows everything style that I mean, all I the remem- good doctors seem to be nailing. I remember when it was first announced that it was going to be a female, and there was a huge outcrying of... How how could they do this and how is it going to make sense and everything like that? It's but listening those... to you talk about it, mm-hmm. it looks like they handled it the best in the only way possible. In my head, I'm seeing all the quirky girls loving Doctor Who. Now a quirky girl is Doctor Who. Mm. They've they've uh, they've become him, so to speak. They flipped the switched. Yeah, they've been they've been promoted from Doctor Who fan to Doctor Who. That's pretty cool. And I mean, they were probably getting a lot of flack about not being... You know how everything in today's age is you've got to be multicultural or a woman. Like, they were probably under that pressure, but needed to find a way to do it without seeming fan servicey. Yeah, which is always a hard line to tell at this point. Yeah. Um... Alright, so there have been others throughout the decades, but those are your meat and potatoes, those are your main ones. Um, like, you've got um, John Hurt, who came in as the War Doctor. He was only there for a little bit, but he's like the dark, gritty one who blew up the planet, like his home planet and shit. And that's why he's the War Doctor, because he's not good enough to be an actual Doctor. Like, there's a bunch of other ones added in. Movie ones, uh, cameos, dudes in skies. There's a bunch, but that's your main 13 there. That's the roster. Yeah, that's your boys. If they were going to do an Injustice game about Doctor Who, those would be your 13 characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, this whole episode would just be characters. 
and actors, but instead I thought we would jump across to the other ones. Okay. I can I can take you in there. Okay. I looked up some villains. I I I didn't do like a full roster. Got I got I got it. the meat and potatoes, as you put it. Yes. Um, so one of the most important ones, I would assume, and I'm really sorry because I'm going to butcher most of this because I don't know about the mm-hmm. pronunciation. Wrestleon? I'm not sure that one's very good. Okay, so... Basically, the invention of the Time Lord, because you said that all Gallifreyans are Time Lords, but not all Time Lords are Gallif... No. The, what you said, but the opposite, exactly yeah. the opposite. Um, so, from what I can get the understanding of, there was three main dudes that like worked out how to become Time Lords and how the to like unlock it all. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of people believe that Gallifrey, no, Rezalone mm-hmm. stole it off one of the other guys, but was just like, oh, I, I'm the greatest and I, I'll just do it. Okay. So there's, there's a little turmoil between the fans that he's already a bad guy. Basically, he is the opposite of the Doctor, um, and most of the time he is the antagonist of the series, except for the Tenth Doctor, in which he is the big bad. Yeah. So if you you know used to two thousand TV, you know what that is. Um, his goals have been to rebuild the Time Lord civilization bring forward the end of time and destroy all of creation. Um, basically work out everything that the Doctor knows and then just use it against him. That That's his story. Yeah. Um, so he's got his, like his own couple of episodes but he's always and like the three of them are always kind of because the Doctor's seen as, like, a weakling because he likes Earth and saving the different worlds and that, and they're like, no, no, we just want to become the ultimate power. Like, stop playing with your little toys over there. Like, come back and we'll... So. Okay. Apparently they're very important, but not overly popular. Then you have the Cybermen. Mm -hmm. Um, They are actually one of the oldest villains... Yeah, I believe they're in, like, episode two and shit. They basically are the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz, but with really terrible over-the-ear headphones. Yeah, like, the, they've got, like, a little square thing going on. Yes. Um, basically, their plan was to remove all emotion from themselves in order to be more pure and calculating. They've also got Iron Man's body, if you look at, like, the current model. It's got the arc reactor and everything. Yes. <laughs> it's very, very That's, it's, it's kind of like a cross between the Tin Man and the first Iron Man suit. Mm. Um, apparently, and like, I was like, there is no way that these guys could be good. Apparently when they're written well, they are really fucking scary. But when they are not written well, which is most often the case, yeah. they're kind of more... Not comical, but down that road. I could see them throw the line of being clanking idiots and a genuine threat depending on who's writing it. Yeah. And that's there's a couple of episodes that I found that were like, if you want to watch terrifying Cybermen, these are the ones. I want to watch one of those and then like the worst Cybermen and just run a comparison. I do like the when you, oh, on my phone when you Google it, the first picture that comes up is like a group of six of them like coming out of a dark alley mm. and that would be the most terrifying yeah, thing at to, any yeah, time of day. Come out and shoot Thomas and Arthur Wayne. Um the next one that I found to talk about who everyone agrees this was when the show saw a real change in its overall mood. 
mm-hmm. was the Beast. Okay. So he was in a two-parter called The Impossible Planet and The Satan Pit. Um, and this was the introduction of Satan himself. Nice. Um, basically, he was able to appear anywhere at any time and invade the secrets and minds of anybody. Nice. Which is kind of scary. And apparently, like, in those two episodes, it's really unsettling because he will just pop up. Like, there was no rhyme or reason to what was going on. There was no, like, anything. So we need to put religion into a sci-fi like this. Um, and he kind of looks like Zaz. Like, he's not got scars on him, but he's got, like, all of these, like, runic tattoo marks all over his body from the photos I saw. Yep. And that just makes me unsettled. Because he looks like a normal, like, bald dude, but with, like... A bunch of nonsense on him as well. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, another one which I will murder the pronunciation of is Nishtanadara. Is that a B? Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to try that. Vashtanadar? Yeah. I'll take that. It came up in season four, I think, Um, which it's another two-parter, but this one actually sounds super creepy. So, and mostly because not only is it creepy, but you feel bad for them at the same time. So, the doctor and his companion have to go to a planet-sized library. Right. Um, and whenever a book is, like, touched or anything, these microscopic spores burst out of the pages, but they're kind of like piranhas. They can only travel through the darkness, but, like, if they come in contact with you you're pretty screwed. Um, But the only reason that they exist is because of deforestation and, you know, being moved around and isolation and stuff like that. Okay. So it's like... So they're in paper because they were attached to the tree or something? Kind of. Okay. So it's like this really terrifying thing that plays on, like, everybody's got a fear of the dark at some point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're only there because we put them there. Yeah. So, like, it plays that equal parts of... It does that thing where, like, the subconscious thing that people don't like about aliens is everything bad white people have done to every other race, and eventually a bigger, whiter race mm. is going to get... Revenge on them? Kind kind of. It's us getting our comeuppance. Mm. Yeah. Um another one that I thought was pretty important to talk about is the Master Missy relationship. Mm-hmm. Um this is the Moriarty to the Doctor Sherlock. Basically they are the same as the Doctor in the fact that they like regenerate. And each doctor kind of gets their own master or missy. They do not get a traveling companion. Um, their objective is, as always, universal conquership. Yeah. Um, and then their next one is just to make the doctor suffer in any way that they can. Yeah, they're very archnemesis. Yeah. So they're, like, happy to blow up the Earth because they know that it would upset the Doctor. Yeah, I also... And, like, they're happy to do, like, little dumb things because it will upset the Doctor. They've also got this, um, knocking down the population vibe as well. They do the Ra's al Ghul quest a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and so they're, like... Not only do you have the guys that created the Doctor coming against him, but you have Master or Missy coming against them. Um, And the lady... So they've only had one Missy so far, 
but it's the There's same also had one female doctor too. So. Yeah, um, it's the same lady that is Madame Satan in Sabrina, which we did an episode on, mm-hmm. and she creeps me out kind of. She's being villain all day, kind. Yeah, but she's just creepy. And then, of course, the most important of all of the Doctor Who... The big old thimble on wheels that has, like, a whisk for an arm. Literally everywhere just describes them as the pepper shaker. They're silly. Which makes them seem way less terrifying. Yeah, I've got no idea what a Dalek does. I do. It yells, exterminate. Yeah, that's, that's all I get. And then you just go upstairs and they're defeated. Like, that's... All I know going in as a noob. Apparently, you either love them or you hate them. Where who noobs? And if you love them, it's because they're terrifying. Apparently, their original, like the script that introduced them, uh, the head of BBC said, that's fucking stupid. No. But then eventually they ran out of other episodes to do. So they're like, shit. Alright, put them in. So they were invented by another villain called Davros. Um, which you meet Davros later on, but the jury's out on whether we like him or not, so I just didn't cover him. Um, again, they are the longest running villains, uh, and apparently, like, the inspiration for them is the Nazis. Oh. They don't look Um, like Nazis, I'll be honest with you. They are violent, merciless, um, pitiless cyborg aliens. Um, they demand that everyone conforms to their will, and um, they like they are going to conquer the universe by exterminating anything that they see as an inferior race. Oh, that is nasty. But as far as I can tell, they're just giant pepper shakers that roll around saying "exterminate, exterminate." Yeah, they're they're like a glorified Roomba. Yes, but before Roomba was a thing and based on Nazis. I did see one, like, use rockets to, like, get upstairs, and I was like, oh, that's how they do it. Yeah, I'm still not sure. Like, I I find, like, the Beast or the Neshtanaradida way scarier, but as someone that hasn't watched all of the... Felix episodes, maybe I'm noobing in my noob. You're going to iconic, though, because we know exactly what the fuck they are when we see them on common floors. This is true. They've got that. They've got that but factor about them. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm noobing my way through. Yeah, that's like, we're hooves. I feel dirty now. Yeah. Back to you. Alright, so, um... The fellow who emailed us about this, Thomas, he gave us, like, a really well-managed episode list and a good outline. Dude, Thomas, if you would like to write some episodes for us, I would give you a thumbs up, because I did not expect for the response to be quite as detailed and good as it was. Um, And until this becomes my full-time job, though, I would be hard-pressed to fit all the episodes he recommended in. Um, On this... There was one on this list, though, that I was just straight fucking dying to see, and that was 2007's Blink. The probably most popular episode. I've heard about it a million times. I'm not in who circles. It's referenced in everything. Yeah. Um, so I tried to watch it in Australia, get real, and got to get it on iTunes. Alright, and... It begins with a woman going through an abandoned house taking photographs. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm assuming that's a hobby at this point, because, you know, you, like the... I think it's urban exploration, I think it's called. Where mm-hmm. people, like, just explore old abandoned shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finds a secret message specifically for her written on the wall. Because that's not creepy. No, it is fucking creepy, because she sees a little bit of it behind wallpaper old ass wallpaper and as she rips it it keeps getting more and more specific don't blink uses her fucking name tells her to duck like now and then it's like sincerely the doctor in 1969 
Hmm. Like it's all, like the entire wall is like a very specific letter. Um. Yeah. Again, like the original pilot, like it's the slight weirdness and potential unknown that gives it such a cool feel. And to add creepiness, maybe through a small budget constraint, or maybe on purpose, uh, we see the first weeping angel. Uh, the ones that the doctor warns of in his message. Alright. It's clearly a person in body pain. Yeah, it's one of those it's like not a living statue. It's one of those living statues. Like the like the dudes that you see like busting. Yeah. Yeah, it's clearly one of those. Which kind of makes it creepier. Yeah. Because I don't want to see a statue and go, You're not a fucking statue. Um Yep, so we then from there it cuts to the theme song. Much more subtle than the original with a screaming theremin noise. Um, so I'd like to quote the good doctor himself here and say, Are you fruit decorated? I don't like it. Hmm. That's, a, that's a quote he uses, but ironically, that's how I feel about his fucking show. Oh. Alright, anyway, we, we made a few more characters here. Uh, one with tapes of the doctor talking about not blinking and just random out of context stuff. Um... Like, we'll, we'll come back to that, though, because for now, uh, our first lady, Miss uh, Sally Sparrow, takes her friend Kathy Nightingale. Like, apparently the names are not the strong this show. Mm-hmm. Um, they go back to the dilapidated house. Uh, fear or curiosity, I'm not sure. But they notice a weeping angel statue, like before. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly not in the location it was the night before. Oh, no. Mm. Uh, while there, uh, the last moments of Back to the Future 2 happen. Refresh me. A man shows up with a letter. Says this was supposed to go to a specific location at a specific date to a specific person. It, you, you remember that bit? The dude in the rain? Yep. Yeah, it's that. Um, yeah, the letter is to Sally. Um, while, that, while that exact plot point is happening, uh, we see the weeping angel move slightly. Um, the fact that it does the sudden position shift when you're not looking... Almost kind of makes it jump scary. Yeah. In, in a way. Definitely. But not doing it. Not doing that shape. Ah, look at that. It's, yeah. It's doing no, it's it's the proper there's a version word of the jump scare. Like, it's like methodical. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it makes sense that Creepy Pasta loves this gimmick after this episode. Yeah. Um. So the angel grabs Kathy and sends her to 1920. Well, that's not very nice of it. It, do, you, do you remember when Darkseid's like, I definitely killed Batman, but he just like threw him in the past? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, weeping angels. Hmm. Um, turns out the guy delivering the letter is her grandson. Oh no. Because she settled there. That's one fucked up thing. No one gets saved after the fact in this. They go where they go and that's it. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, she stayed there and died in the 80s. So Sally's reading this letter, and it says to say goodbye to her brother Larry, like the one person that Kathy left behind. Right. In the present. Um, he works in something that are probably extinct now, and that's the DVD store. Um, she finds him in the back watching random clips of the Doctor talking, like he had playing in his apartment earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he explains this fucking awesome phenomenon where, like, a dozen random DVDs, not connected in any way, all have a secret Easter egg in the menu. Of David Tennant's doctor, um, looking, he's having conversations with seemingly nobody. They're they're like out of context interviews. Mm. Um, in that description, is it's awesome because. Do you remember the creepy footage of Annabelle Chong on the Australian version of the Neon Genesis DVDs? Have you let the menu run? It'll just have a weird, out of context, grainy footage of a of an Asian porn star just laying on a bed. Yes. Imagine if 12 random-ass fucking DVDs had that in it. Not the word from Mad Men, but, like, maybe fucking the Australian version of Forrest Gump has it. The Australian version of Shark Tale has it. I, I don't like that. No. Um, and I love the ref- them referencing Easter eggs in this episode. Because this episode's Weeping Angels have been referenced in fucking everything. Yeah. Um, it's just ingrained in pop culture forever at this point. Witcher 3, the Lego Batman franchise has one. Um, 
There's one in uh, Black Ops as well. Uh, there's one in Just Cause. I think they might have killed a goat in Just Cause. Possibly. Or it's a goat sacrifice. It might be a demonic thing. I don't know. I know there's a bunch of moving statues and a dead goat in the middle. Um, yeah, it's in Dishonored, and then you've got the dozens upon dozens of creepypastas using the same observation lock rules that Weeping Angels have. Well, technically... And um, when you don't look. Like, that has been used a million times Five Nights since. at Freddy's uses it too. Fuck yeah, exactly. Like, like they use a similar concept. Everything works like Toy Story. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's why I really wanted to watch this episode. I like things that have just embedded themselves into like geek culture yeah and this is fucking that to a T alright so the paranoia conspiracy angle that this episode goes for is just a fucking treat I really liked it um the Dr. Easter eggs are interacting with Sally because time is a bullshit construct made by the government to sell watches and the atomic clock fuck you um Sally leaves there and she goes to the police to report Kathy missing Right, because shit, like later or not, she gone. Yeah. And I love this whole scene, alright? Because the statues are following her. Which is not cool. Like it's a cool symbol of like paranoia and the unknown. She's waiting in the in the police lobby. They're like standing up on top of the building opposite the street like gargoyles. She she turns around, they're gone. And then it shows her going, Ha, oh, that's weird, but from the outside and you see that they're gargoyles on the police building now. Yeah. Yep, it's fucking great. Yeah. All right, uh, but while that shit, while that paranoia is happening, the conspiracy shit comes. All right, this seems good because um, she's taken to the impound lot by a police officer named Billy. Mhm. Yeah, it, it's British too, so he's uh, Billy the Bobby. <laughs> if, if you want, um, cars, there's lines of cars have been picked up out the front of that old house. Every one of them a missing persons case. One vehicle. Uh, in that pile vehicle, so to speak, is a blue police box. No. Who's who's that by the The doctor. Mm-hmm. Alright. So, like, I love a good conspiracy, and this is leaning towards the US National Parks missing persons thing. Mm-hmm. In the whole, yeah, we don't know, they're just missing. Not really investigating it. Dozens of people. They're gone, it's over. Yep. Yeah, and I won't go too far into explaining the U.S. National Parks thing because we're we're risking turning into the Men in Black episode, so I won't do it. Okay. Um. So back to the episode, we see Sally go back to the police out impound. Like she walks out, remembers a key that she took from one of the angels without like much thought. Yeah. She was holding it. She yoinked it and didn't really like. She was looking for Kathy. Um. But when she goes back, the officer's already gone because that dumbass blinked. Oh. Oh. Um, the angels following Sally grabbed him on their way to the box, and he finds himself in 1969, the location the doctor was in when he wrote the message on the wall. Ah. All right, here we go. Uh, this is where I personally meet Dr. Tanton, David Tennant. All right. With mm-hmm. his companion at the time, Martha Jones, uh, they pick up the officer, and, like, they're, they're quirky about the sci-fi weirdness they're in. Like, they're like, hey, good news, you're going to see the moon landing and stuff. Like, they're excited to see the moon landing. Oh, how cute. They're like, we've gone and seen it like four times. Back when we had transport, and the doctor's like, I'm, I'm fucking working on it, right? <laughs> Try to fix that. Um, yeah, I love the quote that he gives when he's sitting with the, with the policeman. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it in accent, obviously. Uh, but he goes, like, fascinating race, the weeping angels. The only psychopaths in the universe to kill you nicely. No mess, no fuss. They just zap you into the past and let you live to death. Mm. Isn't that a fucking horrible? Even describing it makes it worse. Mm. They're not just putting you back in time. They're sending you away so you're dead now. Mm. You, as a life, are getting swept under the fucking rug. Well, unless you like the time that you're sent to. You probably get like a bunch of diseases because you've got a different immune system. But yeah, the way he yeah, described could... it made me go, fuck. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah, uh, we then meet his, uh, I think he calls it the timey wimey machine. It's like a lunchbox with a bunch of, like, spinning shit in it. Yeah. Which is how he's keeping track of things, like, where that, where the police officer was going to, 
land and a bunch of other stuff. It's, it's one of those convenient, like, look, I made a science thing. Ah. Alright. So Billy the policeman has been given a job to do by the doctor. And I like, again, I like how fucked up timelines can be. Because in a show, like, this is a show that has different doctors guest starring in their own past and futures. Hmm. Yep. So back in the present 2007, Sally gets a call from the policeman, like, the one that she met 10 minutes ago. He's on his deathbed. Oh. He, used, he was young and horny 10 minutes ago. He dies that night as an old, old man. Oh. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells her that she was given that DVD list earlier about the Easter eggs, um, and she needs to find those Easter eggs and watch them. Um, I love the detail that he left the... Like, after he went back and was no longer a placement, he got a job in publishing eventually DVD publishing. Mm. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I like that they added that little detail in as well. Um, and it's a, it's a cool detail that leads you into a sad fucking scene because it's like Batman and Ace in the Justice League and Sally holds his hand and sits with him until the end. Mmm. Hurtful things to see. Alright, so two people have died in Sally's life at this point over these fucking angels, and she's a little bit mad. She wrangles up the DVDs that film nerd Larry, a poor cool DVD player, and they head back to the old ass house. I'll not go over the DVD conversation, because it's very detailed and tricky, but his grasp on time travel is fucking delightful, and follows the way I like to think of it. Um, I don't call it wibbly-wobbly, but I do like that um, time is like a ball and not a linear thing. And you edit in it doesn't change necessarily yours, but it fixes other ones. Do you remember in Avengers when they were like, if we get the gem now, it's not going to affect the time you're in, but it'll help the one we're in over here? Yeah. Like how everything splits off constantly? Yeah. It kind of does that. Okay. Which I prefer. I think a multiverse theory is more likely than there's one time ever. But take the lead it. Yeah, it's confusing. Time and space is a fucking shit show. Yeah. And I choose not to follow any rules. Alright. But it, it, yes, the time of conspiracy thought that really puts the tinfoil hat on my dick. You can see why I like this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. The point is that, like, conversation aside, the point is the only way to stop a weeping angel is to get it to look at another one. So then they're both stuck as statues forever. Mm-hmm. Alright. Um... So, the first one shows up, and they got to stare at it. Um, look, I played the Medusa boss fight in the PlayStation Hercules game. Mm-hmm. So, I was fucked. So, the, the way to solve that was fucking way obvious to me. Um, mirrors, baby. Mirrors. All right? And Sally runs past one, like, nine fucking times. They don't use it, though. Okay. Which surprised me, because I see it in the background, like, oh, duh. And not, and I'm like, you fucking idiot. That's too obvious. Damn it. Yeah, they tricked me with obviousness in the background. Which, yeah, they probably did on purpose just to fuck with people like me. Um, yeah, so they back up slowly from it until they get around the corner and they... All the doors are locked. They can't get out. They go in the basement and find the police box. Because the statues were looking for it and the key to get in it. Aha! Yep. So they've taken it back to the basement. Sally's already got the key. Yep. Because she, she took it earlier. Yeah, so it's in the basement with a shitload of angels around it. It's a very cool scene. Because um, while they're in there, they see all the all the angels in there and the box. And one angel's just pointing at the light bulb. And it starts to flicker. Oh, shit. Right? How would you cope in this? I know it's a cute... Quirky sci-fi show. I'm fucking killing myself. This is, a, this is great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very horror for a BBC television drama. Yeah. Um, so, like, they managed to get in to the TARDIS in time. Well, the Rangers, like, banging on the sides of it trying to get in. Yeah. Uh, they put, like, um, um, like the, the main plot sort of ends with them getting in the phone box... They put one of the DVDs into a drive in there. It teleports the box away without Sally and Larry. Oh, 
Oh, they cower in fear. The box disappears. The angels are banging on each side. When it disappears, they're looking at the guy opposite them. So that all the statues are done. They move. Doctor Who moving the box, like purposely fucked all the angels in the room. Yeah. So it goes back to 1969. It's great. Um, yeah, so that's, that's good. It was good shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not the best at describing shit. I'm a very bad storyteller. But I still say definitely watch this one. Um, yeah, the, the daily motion version of a shit, but it's, I think it's worth the iTunes money to see it. It, like, you don't have to be a Doctor Who fan. It was just a straight, good time travel horror hour long yeah, I'm, that I saw. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't do well with creep. Mm. Um yeah. Like it wasn't a doctor heavy episode, but I'm glad that I finally watched it. Hmm. Um I see. So we're getting close to an hour. Yep. I've done about uh, one eighth of what Thomas gave us to work with. Yeah, I I'm, definitely feel like a future episode coming on. Uh, yeah, and because a lot of the early ones were block story arcs, like episode two went for four episodes. Which is like very a, confusing. I feel like we could do a story arc style like we do comics sometimes. Oh, yeah, maybe. After Blink, I'm, I'm relatively happy to come back to this. I would give it another shot because I still feel very confused by it. Yeah, you need to watch However, it to see what the fuck I was talking about. I've, I've been kind of busy recently. Yep. Hasn't been great days for me. Yeah, we have, so. we have jobs and it sucks. Well, not only we have jobs, but my job got intense. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say on that case. Um, so I hope this did Thomas justice. Uh, thank you to uh, Miss Crossman for pointing me in a few directions and helping me out. Thank you to Thomas. Yep. Oh, fuck, his outline was amazing. Um, I think that's kind of the moral of the podcast, is to try new things. Yeah. We I gave it a shot, and it's not that bad. No, I scared the shit out of Kara, and I only told her what happened. She didn't even see it. Yeah, no, I'm good. Imagine actually seeing no, his no, last no, 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 I'm okay. All right. <laughs> Um, do you have any homework questions you'd like? Um. Alright, who, who's your favourite doctor? A bucket of water, Kelly. yes or no? <laughs> I, I feel like we already spoke about that. You like the scarf? No. no. I like, um, Matt. Matt Smith? Yes. Okay. I think that is the one that I have chosen. Yeah, about and I think that is the one I have chosen. All right, there you go. Um, very good. What, what about you? I think I like David Tennant, but a lot of that's just brownie points from him as Purple Man and Jessica Jones. Mm. I, he, he's got charisma, that guy, and I like I like watching him act. Um, all right, well, I'm happy to continue. Uh, I am not. I am tired. I meant the show. Oh, yes, that is fine. Would I recommend it? I don't know yet. I'm obviously still very green to it, but I'd certainly recommend Blink. Like, mm. even the stuff I didn't talk about, like the ending, when he's like, I've got four things and technically a lizard. Mm. It's good. And then there's a lot of hard cuts to just statues in town. It's like, well, now I'm not happy about statues. But yeah, I liked it. I might go a little bit further down this rabbit hole when I get a chance. And I hope you guys liked our episode about Doctor Who. Mm. We described some actors and we talked about two episodes. Any show that's been continuously running since the 60s is a little dense for us. But I hope it was good enough. So there you go. I've been Toby Apollo. I am here. That was Kai Stan, our producer. Again with the I am here. Congratulations for being here, because otherwise you'd be somewhere else. Well, very soon I shall be somewhere else known as my bed. Alright, well, 
All right, well, everybody try new things, experience some stuff. You never know what you might find. What you might like. Class dismissed. Oh, 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 o